Don't leave without the script. Frustrated with your pain or injury? That sucks, but I'm here to help. Hi, my name is Denise DeShutler and I'm a body worker and educator. Why is it so hard to find the care we need to feel better? Most of my clients have asked that question for years until we started working together. Now I'm gonna help you find those answers. I'll explore different health disciplines and chat with talented practitioners. We'll share our insights and practical advice to help you get the results you need to feel good again. Because seeking the right care for your health can be a pain in the arse. But with me, your wellness journey will turn into a fun-filled adventure. Buckle up, baby, for the Passionate Health Advocate Show. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining. I'm happy you're here. Today we are going to a place where one woman used her voice to fight for her mother's care. Today she's going to tell us all about the lessons her family learned during her mother's battle with cancer, which led her to writing the book, Not in Vain, A Promise Kept. Let's buckle up. Welcome to the land of finding your voice. We are searching for Melissa Malamfi. She's an influencer, disruptor, patient advocate, mental health advocate, daughter, and author. Is that you? That's me. Great. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm just really glad that you are a huge advocate. And I'm happy that we have you on the show and that you're going to take us to this place to help all our listeners find their voice. So thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you have uh, a lot of description in your title. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your influencer, daughter, patient advocate, mental health advocate? Do you want to, you want to give a little idea, uh, I guess, more of an explanation of all these intricate things that you are? Sure. I, I guess you could call me eclectic. <laughs> um, I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. I worked in the reinsurance industry for 20 years. Um, and unfortunately, I had a mom that got very ill in 2010. Uh, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, and from diagnosis to passing, it was a nine-month journey. Um, so it took me 10 years, but I finally was able to, um, write a book about the journey and it didn't just come because I wanted to write a book. Uh, one night when we were in, um, cardiology, um, she said to me, cause my mom, you know, my mom was 68 years old and she was from what they call the silent generation. I didn't even know there was a silent generation, but it's between, the war babies and the boomers. And what that means is they, they don't, they're not doctor people. They don't like to rock the boat. They don't want to quote unquote burden you. Um, and my mom never went to a female gynecologist doctor since when I was born. And she was diagnosed when I was 39 years old. So that's 39 years of not going. I mean, nobody likes to go to that doctor, but she just avoided most doctors at all costs. Um, 
one day she called me uh, and I don't know how I missed it, to be honest with you, but she called me crying on the phone and she said that she um, had had a, a mass, uh, some kind of bump in her stomach. And, you know, me playing doctor, I said, you know, okay, mom, you know, you're probably obstructed. You know, I've had friends that have been obstructed. Um, you know, it's a quick surgery. You'll be fine. The whole thing. You know, we went to the emergency room. They did a CAT scan with contrast. Um, never in a million years did I think they were going to come back and say that she had a 23 centimeter mass on her ovary. Um, we didn't know at the time that it was cancer. Um, but when you, you know, again, when you saw the look on the doctor's face, the emergency room doctor, it, you know, although he said a lot of times these things are benign, what he was saying and the way he was looking didn't match. So, you know, this, this, this panic, um, began and, um, I have an older sister. She's four years older than me and my dad. Um, it's just the four of us. And, um, you know, so then it was, okay, what do we do? So thankfully, um, they don't make doctors like my general practitioner or my mother's former general practitioner. I had a cell phone number. I called him up. I said, Hey, doctor, cool. I call him in the book. Um, this just happened. You know, what do you think? And, you know, he was trying to, you know, keep me hopeful and said, you know, it's probably benign, Missy, but, you know, I'll see you at 10 o'clock Monday morning. So, you know, this was on a Saturday. We had the whole uh, weekend of worry. And, you know, with the power of the internet, you know, I probably spent 48 of those hours Googling ovarian cancer um, outcome, surgery, treatment. You know, you just, you almost become obsessive with, you know, trying to find things out. But when we went to see him, we Can I were, ask you something real quick? Yeah. Okay. So when you brought your mom to the ER, mm. you're, you were saying that the doctor that was there evaluating her, of course, they didn't have the results, but you were saying that he was telling you one thing, mm. that it was benign, but you could read all the signs and you didn't believe that that was correct. He was saying that the, the probability that it was benign, but the way he looked his nonverbal communication, his tone. He asked to speak to my father and my mother privately. I just had it. It was just in my gut. And, and to be quite honest, I, I, I didn't even, I never would have thought in a million years because my mom was the healthy one. My dad had had congestive heart failure and, you know, a couple trips to Yale and got stents. And he was the one that was quote unquote sick. My mom, she was waiting tables the night before we brought her to the emergency room at 68 years old. She's still waiting tables, you know, mm -hmm. carrying 40 pounds of spaghetti around. Um, so, you know, we spent the weekend hoping that, you know, we'd have a better outcome, but when we brought her to her GP, um, you know, and again, I don't know how I missed this, but my mom was wearing extra large clothes, like t-shirts. Um, and when I saw her in the GP's office with, you know, her shirt up, and she looked like she was five months pregnant. And um, that's ascites, um, you know, because if you know cancer, if you have a tumor, um, it's a fluid called ascites that uh, surrounds it. So she was distended, very distended, bloated. And um, at this point, the doctor was still kind of saying, you know, it's probably benign. Some, some of these things are benign, 
but he said it was benign, but you know what? Here is um, a gynecologist oncologist in our group and she's great. So we got two referrals, one to a regular oncologist, one to a gynecologist oncologist surgeon the same day, which I did not want those referrals, but we had to get them. Um, then, you know, you, you, you know, now, now you're trying to get appointments, but you know, you're just, you're not special. Why are you going to get to the front of the line? Right. So, um, you know, you have these big medical, I call them Walmarts where there's a million doctors under one roof and you're trying to get this person. And, um, we, we got lucky and, and I know these dates because I have every single one of my mother's health records in a spreadsheet. May 1st, we went to the emergency room. Her first appointment with the gynecologist oncologist was May 4th, which considering what we were looking at was, was good. Um, this, this gynecologist oncologist, um, initially almost throughout the whole process, my sister and I would call, um, the grim reaper only because she, she always seemed to, we want to, you know, as, as someone that's very nervous, you want to hear good news, but she, you know, first thing come out of her mouth, this is not a friendly cancer. You're, you know, w with, with women, they call this the silent killer because the symptoms are very commonly the same as GERD. So what happens is women self-treat, they take Tums, their doctors will call them in an antacid. If they have a urinary tract infection, they'll treat a urinary tract infection and, until you have some kind of growth, um, something showing, you know, it's all kind of bubbling up. That's why they call it the silent killer. Um, so from the beginning, this doctor was, you know, this is not a friendly cancer. Let's do, you know, this is what we got to do. But, you know, this is where, again, you know, find your voice. Also, besides finding your voice, one important thing we found out is that you know, for all those years, my mother never did the normal things. Well, I won't say normal, but the things that are suggested by healthcare that you get at certain ages. She never had a mammogram. She never had a colonoscopy. She never had an endoscopy. Um, so the idea was we need to get this out. We need to get it out yesterday. But before that, we need to check every other. We need to put you through a bunch of tests. Um, so... In short order, we had to get a colonoscopy, an endoscopy, which they found a huge hernia, um, a mammogram, and they also did a, a marrow, a, a bone marrow test, which was very painful. Mm -hmm. um, everything was clean, so that that was great news. So we were scheduled for surgery. Um, she did pre-op blood work, and unfortunately, um, you know, when you get cancer, um, your blood uh, you become very anemic, but also you can get um, very high platelet counts. When you have high platelet counts, um, it makes you very a very big risk for a stroke. So mm, your normal platelet count is supposed to be between 200 and 400,000. My mother's was 1.2 million. So she's in the hospital where my father's got her his get her done hat on. She's a six o'clock case. We're going to get this stuff out finally. And... I come in and my mom's crying and the doctors um, canceled the surgery because of her platelet count. So that was kind of our first, um, I say in the book, shot to the, shot to the teeth, but 
there's a lot worse, but, um, you know, so then, you know, we had to postpone the, the, the surgery and they had when to- they, sorry, when they canceled the surgery, uh, is that like a normal response? Is that a normal protocol? You know, I don't, you know, looking at it hindsight, I was furious because, you know, you, 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 you think about other people that have cancer. We've all heard, you know, get it out as soon as possible. The treatment, the chemo can be worse than the, the disease. Like you've heard all these things. So I was furious, but looking hindsight and as we progressed through the months, as they went, the doctor made the right call, um, even though we didn't like the call. Um, my mom had to go. Um, it's almost like dialysis. She had to go and get her blood cleaned. And, you know, she needed to get her platelet count within normal limits because they were afraid she was going to have a stroke on the table. Yeah. So she could um, handle the procedure. Right. Yeah. So, you know, roll the tape forward. You know, now we're ready for surgery second time. And, um, again, they just put the brakes on it. They said, we're not comfortable. Um, we're going to do, uh, chemo before because we want to try and shrink the mass. And this is, this is, uh, this is, this is sort of standard operating procedure for cancer. Sometimes we're going to do chemo first. We're going to shrink the mass. And then guess what, Miss Burns, your, your surgery is going to be so much easier and, um, less risky. So, you know, uh, never dealt with this before. So you listen to the doctors. Okay, let's, let's do it. So with that, the doctors, um, placed an order for a biopsy and, um, they said it would be back in 24 hours, four days later, my mother's in the hospital and, um, a nurse comes in and she's in, and this is, this is 2010, but she comes in with like, um, almost like a, a fallout suit, like total COVID gear, mask, clothes, gloves, everything just covered. And she comes in and, and she says, okay, Miss Burns, we're ready to start your chemo. And we're like, what? Chemo? We don't even, no one said she had cancer yet. What do you mean chemo? And so again, my head explodes. This wasn't um, disclosed to you. They just no. showed up. Wow. Nope. She just showed up. The, this poor nurse drew the short stick and, you know, my sister didn't know. And she's like, why are you dressed like that? And then she proceeds to tell my mom, um, well, you know, this is poison. And I don't want to get it on me. And, you know, give me your vein, you know? So I get on the phone with not the gynecologist oncologist, the regular oncologist. And because he's the one that the oncologist is the one that determines the cocktail, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. how are you, what's going on here? We have somebody here and they're saying she has cancer. We don't know what's going on. So he wound up coming. They diagnosed her uh, stage 3C, um, which is pretty aggressive. Um, and they were going to do three rounds of chemo, um, hopefully shrink the mass and um, and then take it out and and be healed. Um, and, uh, you know, so my mom begrudgingly, uh, agreed to do that. And we did the first round of chemo inpatient kind of went without a hitch. She got out. Um, then she did the second round. Um, you know, that one was eh, kind of without a hitch, but now she's starting to get symptomatic. Like her hair's starting to fall out. She's starting to get nauseous. Um, and, and also another thing with cancer is, unfortunately, 
you know, when you have a mass that size, the ascites that surrounds it doesn't go away. So it's very common that you have to get it drained and that's done in radiology. So they take a big needle and they drain it out. My mom was to the point where she was having to get it drained sometimes seven liters um, every other day. And when you have all that ascites in your, in your abdomen, it's pushing up on your lungs. So it makes breathing difficult, makes eating difficult. It's just, it's just a mess. So um, after the second round, my mom was starting to show signs of wasting disease, which a lot of cancer patients show, um, you know, inability to eat. She was depressed. I mean, it makes sense. She was depressed. Um, just, just didn't look like she was doing good at all. <clears throat> so we said, you know what? Um, we want to do a CAT scan and see if this chemo is doing anything as you suspect it will. Um, because if it's not, we just want to get the surgery and, and, and get this, this the hell out because I'm watching my mom disappear. Um, so they did a CAT scan um, with contrast. My sister brought my mom to the oncologist to get the normal blood work the day of chemotherapy for the third round. The PA told my mother that the tumor shrunk in half. So we're like, great, we're doing the jig. This is fantastic. So my mother goes and gets the third round of chemo. The next week after the third round of chemo, she had an appointment with the gynecologist oncologist. Um, and she read the CAT scan with the radiologist and said the tumor didn't change at all. In fact, it grew. And we had just got the third round of chemo. So we just made mm -hmm. a sick lady sicker because we got the wrong information and the film was read incorrectly. So, you know, it, this, is, this is now July. We started in May. So, you know, for, for people listening, um, one thing that we learned the hard way is, um, you know, like Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for radiologists or, or not even radiologists, sometimes doctors, to read films incorrectly. In fact, I had a friend with um, uh, triple negative breast cancer. Her films were, her the wrong lady's films were read and she was misdiagnosed. So, you know, with, when this happened, um, we had already given my mom the third round of chemo and she was just getting sicker and sicker and wasting. And so we're like, okay, we need to get this out. So at this point, um, can I ask you something? Yeah. Again. Um, so yeah, obviously there's room for human error and you were saying, um, that, you know, the quote from Ronald Reagan, Yeah. what would you just on that point, what would you recommend to people? Because you know what I, I've been telling a lot of people lately and it, it, it's not hard is, um, you know, now with, e-records, e um, medical records that are online, um, portals. Um, if you're hospitalized or you've been diagnosed with some uh, a bad disease, whether it's cardiac, kidney failure, diabetes, whatever, the day you go into a hospital, ask for your medical records because they're yours, they're free, they have to give them to you. Now, um, you know, that's one thing. Like, you know, sometimes like you don't want to you don't want to step on a doctor's toes and do their job because you're not as smart as they are, but you are, you should be able to ask questions. And, um, 
you also should be able to see for yourself because had we got that impression, which is what the report is called from a radiologist, had we got, had we have gotten that impression, I would have been, I would have read it and it would have said, cause I have it, um, no change in mass since May. Um, in fact, it's grown and we would have not done the third round of chemo. We wouldn't have made a sick lady sicker. So one thing I would suggest, and it's, it's really not, it's actually easier now because you're not even talking about paper is, um, if somebody offers you access to a portal in a hospital or in a medical group, make sure you sign up for it. And if you're older and, or you're not technically savvy, try and get a friend, one of your kids, just somebody to, to, to kind of second head your records because they're, they're, I'm not saying you're going to be able to read labs or, you know, make diagnoses, but you can read something like, you know, they write it in simple language, you know, impression, you know, tumor has grown since May. It's that simple. Um, and had we have gotten that, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have got that third round of chemo. Um, you know, you know, so then, you know, comes, comes August and, you know, we, we need to get this out because she was getting really, really bad. And, um, then because of the largeness of the surgery, um, they needed to have an anesthesiologist, a bowel doctor, because it's not uncommon for this type of surgery. They call it, um, debulking. Um, basically they, they take everything out of you. But it's, it's sometimes if they nick a bowel or something, you might come out with a colostomy bag. So they need to have a GI doctor. They need to have a colon doctor. They need to have an anesthesiologist, gynecologist, oncologist. So you needed like six different disciplines in the, in the OR. Where this is the end of July. They told us they couldn't see us till October. October. I said, excuse me? I said, and, you know, I'm... I'm I'm keeping it PG. Um, my mom won't be alive in October. Um, so, you know, my mom and my sister and my father were crying in um, the doctor's room. And I, again, this, this was kind of my role. And, um, you know, uh, not to get off subject, but sometimes in family dynamics, there's people that are good at some things and better at others. I was the bitch. I, I had to be. Um, and it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, when they told me October, looking at my mom, you know, they had a room full of all of the surgeons administrators in the hospital. Um, the door was shut. I opened the door and I took a chair from the waiting room and I sat down in, in their room and they said, you can't be here. And I said, I'm not leaving until you schedule my mom. And they're like, ma'am, you can't be there. I said, call security. I said, I'm not leaving until you find a spot for my mom. Um, because like I said, she would not make October. Um, at this point, the gynecologist oncologist who, you know, again, in the beginning, we kind of wish she gave us better news, but that woman was on point. Every single thing she said was going to happen, happened. Every hypothesis she had came true. And she was out of the team, she was probably the best, even though we didn't want to hear what she had to say because it was usually bad news. But at that point, when she saw me sitting in the room, not moving, um, 
she got on her cell phone and started making phone calls. And um, my mom was able to get a date. It was August 3rd. And um, so um, the night before, you know, <laughs> this doctor who, again, we befriended, a, you know, um, she pulled me out of my mom's room. It was like 930 at night. And um, she's like, you know, Melissa, I'm just telling you, I'm not, I'm really nervous about your mom's case. She's like, um, I think it might be palliative. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really, I'm nervous, you know? Um, and, and, and I'm like, oh my God, why are you telling me this now? And she's the six o'clock case. Like why? I don't want to hear this. But again, she needed to tell me because mm -hmm. basically she told me that if you see me in an hour, that means we opened her up and we closed her and there's nothing we could do. She goes, if it takes longer, then we're going to try our best. So I kept that to myself. And when that next morning, when, you know, my mom was being rolled down into the OR, um, I was just hoping I didn't see her in an hour and I didn't, I saw her nine hours later. So, you know, my mom was optimally debulked. Um, you know, she woke up in ICU. It was never seen, you know, seeing your mom on a, you know, cause they intubate, um, that was really crazy. The other thing is that, um, you know, when they debulk for surgery like this, they take everything that they don't have to take. And I didn't know this, but your body sort of misses the organs. So sometimes you have to flood the body with fluids because it's like, almost like, um, it's not like phantom limb syndrome, but it's almost like the body goes into shock because it's missing these organs. So mm -hmm. a couple of mm -hmm. times the bells went off in ICU and me and my sister were like so nervous, but we thought we were, we were golden. We were good to go. And, you know, things were going to happen. Um, she uh, went into uh, inpatient rehab. Um, that was another mistake, you know, and this is what I mean when I say um, know the meds and know the patient. Um, my mother was in inpatient rehab, which was in the hospital. She called me up and she's like, you know, Missy, I'm feeling really dizzy. And I'm like, she said, they started a new med. And I said, well, what is it? And she read it to me and they put her on a, um, high blood pressure medication. And can I, can I, sorry to yeah. interrupt. Um, I want to go back to, so she was in the procedure for nine hours. Yeah. And then what happened after that? They came out, they told us, we were all crying, including the doctors, because this was not supposed to happen. I mean, this was this was a victory. You know, my mom yeah. survived the surgery. Um, they said, you can go see her in a couple hours. She's in recovery. And my dad went home and we thought we were full of hope. Like we thought, you know, we had beat the beast. Um, so, you know, she eventually got taken off the... Um, she was on she was intubated. She got the tube taken out. She was happy. Her, her, um, her outlook was better. Um, you know, she was trying to eat, you know, she had relatives visiting. Um, you know, we thought, we thought we had beat it. Um, she went into inpatient rehab again. Um, they put her on a high blood pressure medication. My mother was always hypotensive, which means low blood pressure. So if you put her on a high blood pressure medicine that is supposed to bring high blood pressure down. It's going to make hers. It's already low, lower. Mm -hmm. So I said, Ma, don't take it. And, and, you know, I thank God I had the job I had because my job 
it was corporate and I had a, I guess, a, a pretty important role. I was traveling all over the country, but my executive vice president, my job knew what I was going through and I was able to come and go as I pleased, you know, it was great. My job, I couldn't thank him enough. So, you know, got the call, left. Um, I, I went to the inpatient rehab. I spoke to the physiatrist. And this is where white coat syndrome came in. He basically looked at me and said, um, I'm the doctor. She's the patient. I make the decisions and I'm putting her on this med. And j- just, just like that, like that kind of tone, that kind of cockiness, and so I just got in my car, drove over to the cardiologist because she was offsite, and I waited in the waiting room. I said, I, I need to see Dr. X. And, you know, you can't just walk in and see Dr. X. You have to have an appointment. But I'm like, I'll wait. And she came out and she was like, who are you and why are you here? And I said, listen, my mom's one of your patients. This doctor's putting her on a hypertensive med. This is what's going on. She's like, what? So she discontinued it immediately. Um, and it was at that point that I had no, no, um, I didn't trust this physiatrist anymore. Um, and And can I ask you about, um, you use the term white coat syndrome. Do you want to explain what you mean by that? White coat syndrome is a real thing. And it's basically, you know, doctors generally wear white coats. Um, and a lot of times people, whether it be mental health, whether it be in an emergency room, in a regular practice, they, it kind of, it's, it's a phenomenon where you look at them and whatever they say is true. Whatever the recommend recommendations are, you should take without question. Um, you shouldn't really, people don't tend to push back, um, on recommendations. They don't tend to ask more questions. And I can tell you, you know, another thing is when people are going through a diagnosis, that you're 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 looking at your own mortality or you're very ill when doctors speak to you a lot of times you're not hearing them you're there but you're not there so another thing i say in the book is you know if if you have this ability go with the sick person take notes um you can even record doctor visits. I mean, in, in New York state, you can record visits, um, not to get somebody in trouble, but just because so much information is given that you can't maybe write down, you just got to let them know you're doing it. Um, and, and now actually with, with the telehealth, um, I don't know if people are reading when they're saying approve on your, your video sessions with telehealth, but they're recorded. Um, some of your data is collected and you're, you know, you're giving away stuff that you may not think that you're giving away, but I don't want to get off topic with that, but you know, white coat syndrome is a real thing. And what people have to understand is that, you know, doctors are human. They make mistakes. Doctors are under a lot of stress. Oh yeah. It's the passionate health advocate dance break. Now get up and shake your thing. Hey listeners, Denise here. 
Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? Well, let me tell you about pod to go These guys rock. They do all the tedious stuff for me, like show notes, sound editing, audiograms, videograms, and even publish every single episode for my show. They do all that work for me and it doesn't break the bank. But when I know my favorite part, they're so easy to communicate with. Seriously, if you're looking for a team to help you with your podcast, please go with pod to go To get started with a 10% discount, email pod2go.app at gmail. That's pod2go, P-O-D, number two, G-O, dot A-P-P, at gmail. When they did the biopsy, we found out they didn't biopsy the actual tumor. They biopsied the ascites. The ascites is the fluid that surrounds it. So that's a big difference than what's in the actual mass. And that might have made a difference. Would she have survived it? I don't know. But they didn't get to the actual tumor. They, they, they biopsied the ascites and said, you know, carcinogen. So I don't know if that would have changed things or not. Um, you know, she got home and, you know, the next, the next job was what they called cleanup chemo. Cleanup chemo is for any straggler cells um, that they're going to get. There was no lymph node involvement. And, you know, it, cleanup chemo was four days inpatient. Um, day one, I'm at work. My, my mom, my sister brings my mom and uh, it's inpatient. A um, couple hours into it, my sister sends me a text. And my sister's pretty conservative. We're, we're kind of night and day. Um, but she puts in the subject effing terrible. And so I look up the chemo that my mom was getting put into her. And I left work. I went to the hospital. It was a Friday. And it was actually Labor Day weekend. My mom had every symptom of toxicity except coma and death. And I called the oncologist because I knew we had a boat. And I knew it was a long weekend. And that's another thing. Weekends very important. Doctors are not available on weekends. Um, no, try and get an understanding of a couple things. When doctors make rounds, because they often make them in the morning, try and get it, you know, if the doctors are part of a group, try and find out who their sort of step-in person is and make sure you have an appointment with them so you get to know them. Um, because I called my mom's oncologist and I said, you need to come here before you leave for the weekend. He came now, now this is me and my family, total white coat syndrome. You know, what, what he says has got to be right. So he said with Connie, we're going for a cure. Um, we have to be aggressive. Um, she's fine. So, you know, we said, okay, you know, um, we're going to, we're going to take your word for it. And, um, we continued with the chemo the next morning. Um, and another thing I, I say to people, please befriend your nurses. Nurses are the connective tissue. They can make or break your care. Um, basically, nurses carry out the doctor's orders, um, but they also have the ability, if they don't see something or something doesn't look right, to raise their hand. It's almost their job. 
that Saturday morning, one of the nurses that had seen my mother many times called me and said, Missy, you got to get here. This isn't the Connie that I know. Now that's a nurse sticking her head out, neck out, because now she's going against doctor's orders. That's not, that's not a comfortable place to be, but she's doing it because she cares. So I went over. Um, I saw what I saw the day before. The oncologist uh, backup came in. My father came, the whole thing. And, and again, bad decision, but she's going to be fine. My mother pretty much opened up one eye. You know, she was kind of to the point where, let me just get this over with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep through it. And um, that, that was a big mistake because I went Sunday morning and, um, you know, and I'm, I, I'm going to, I'm jumping around, but I want to give people tips. I went Sunday morning and that's another thing. Um, visiting hours, know when the visiting hours are and show up at different times. It's very important to have different people show up at different times. Like I'm not saying it because you're going to catch somebody doing something really bad. I'm saying it because if the healthcare team that is helping your loved one knows that they have a family that cares or friends that care or husband, son, whatever it may be, they're going to do better. They just are. It's human nature. Um, you know, I went Sunday morning and I went early because I couldn't sleep. I found my mother flat with her hand hanging off the bed and throw up coming out of her mouth. She was probably five minutes from aspirating. A lot of chemotherapy patients choke on their own vomit. It, it happens. Um, my head exploded uh, once again. And um, at that point, now, now I can't leave. Now I don't trust you. I'm not leaving. I'm getting a pillow. I'm sleeping here. Um, so it was terrible. Uh, on Monday, I was leaning up against the bathroom door and my father was there and my sister was there and the oncologist that I told on Friday that I thought she was toxic came in, looked at my mother and then he turned to me and he said, you're right, she's toxic. And I said, I Googled it. I'm like, and you know, again, excuse my French, but I'm like, this is your effing job. I Googled it. I'm in the I'm in the insurance industry. I'm, this isn't what I do for a living. You know, your nurse raised her hand, you know, and after that, um, you know, my mom lost about two weeks because they, they, my, you know, they, the, the priest came in probably three times. Um, when you, when you become toxic or poisoned from chemotherapy, you're, you're really close to death. And, um, it, it was really bad, but, but, but she survived it. Um, it, it was bad, but she survived it. Um, she was hallucinating again. She had every symptom except coma and death. And, um, you know, uh, we, 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 we saw a decline after the, the poisoning and, um, you know, we, um, we said, let's get a CAT scan, you know, because she's the ascites is building up again and it's not supposed to be because this stuff is out. Right. And um, 31 days after she was optimally debulked, she had more cancer in her than she started with. So it was a very aggressive, rare cancer. At that point, it was like, um, you know, they were sort of out of options. They said, we can put you on maintenance. Um, they still made it sound like she might get two or three years out of it, but 
looking at her, we all kind of knew that that probably wasn't going to be the case. Um, you know, she tried the, the maintenance, um, chemotherapy, but it got to the point where my father was driving her every other day to get, he would call it making a water deposit, but get getting the ascites out of her abdomen, which is very uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, around Thanksgiving, you know, she, she had had it. Um, and, uh, you know, she, um, she, we got hospice to come to the home as far as hospice, you know, things that I learned with hospices, again, they have a really tough job, but you really ought to um, interview them and find out their experience with the illness that your loved one has, because, you know, being on hospice for congestive heart failure is, even though it doesn't sound like it should, it's very different than being on hospice for cancer. For example, um, my mother was on morphine and you know, I would use a syringe and, and, and give it to her. Um, at one, I think it, she died on Saturday, like Friday, I gave it to her and, or it was Thursday. And, and I asked my sister, I'm like, I gave it to her already, but I asked my sister, I was like, how many MLs am I supposed to give? And she's like five and I had given 10 and I'm like, Oh shit. You know, like, you know, but again, if you think about cancer and if anybody that knows anybody's have cancer, when they give these narcotics, the theory, and it, this is what happens, is eventually your central nervous system slows down and you stop breathing. So it sounds really messed up, but when I gave her that double dose, from, I felt scared, but I also felt like maybe I did her a favor. I, I can't explain to you, but that's how I felt. Um, you know, um, Again, you, you want to know, it's important to know that they have experience with the disease because we did have one lady come and she was ordering morphine from my parents' kitchen phone. And I was standing right there and she was talking to her boss and she said right in front of me, she goes, yeah, we got we to gotta get this over here immediately because this one's going down quick. I was standing right in the kitchen right next to her. And, and I, like you, your nerves, you, you have no, I, you have no margin for anything. You're, 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 you're emotionally and physically shot. So I didn't have the, the fight in me anymore to say something, but I did afterwards. I did tell the hospice organization that I understand they do this every day. And it's almost like working in an ambulance, you get used to it, but you have to have some kind of tact when you have family members around. You can't call them this one or it's going down quick or, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm making a checklist, um, you know, so you just arrived in the emergency room. What do you have to do? So your loved one's been diagnosed of cancer what are the five most important things you need to do? And then what do you have to do afterwards? Um, so you're, you need to get your knee replaced. Um, how do you find out the success rate of this, um, the surgeon? Cause it's out there, you know, like yeah. you have to be your own advocate. And if we can't advocate for ourselves or our loved ones from, from a health perspective, what good are we, you know? Um, yeah. I, so I want to 
pause here and just uh, reflect on your story because, uh, you know, listeners, they've never heard this story. Um, it's a lot to take in. And I want to say how much I appreciate you, you know, retelling the story, um, you know, and it's, it's very powerful. And I know probably every time you tell it, you're kind of reliving it. So I just want to say how much I appreciate you sharing this information and sharing your journey. Cause I know definitely not an easy one. Um, so I just want to, I want to thank you for that. And I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, I appreciate that. I uh, just, I just, I just really want to, um, you know, my mom said something to me that night in cardiology. Um, she had, a. um, she had blood clots in both her legs and pulmonary embolisms because cancer make, makes clots. And she said to me when she goes, Melissa, she goes, never be as dumb as me. And what she meant by that was go to doctors, you know, do the preventative screenings, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but after she became toxic and, and I didn't even, I only told you about three or four mess ups. There's probably 25, um, I knew I was going to tell the story. Um, but when I started writing it soon after she passed, I was too mad. And it's actually, I look at that version and it's unreadable because like every third word is F. It really is. Yeah. Um, it took me, you know, and then life got in the way, but it took me 10 years to write it. And, um, you know, um, I, you know, at the end of each chapter, every, you know, I, I make sure I tell people what we, what we learned, what we went through and what I would do differently. Um, because you really do have control that you don't, you may not think you have it, but you have it. I don't care if you're in a clinic, um, somewhere in the South Bronx, or if you're in, um, Will Cornell in the Upper East Side, you know, two major differences. You still have the power to ask questions, to get an advocate, and to push back if something doesn't feel right. And, you know, sometimes too, you know, they have that saying about gut feelings. And, you know, um, there were a lot of times in, during the, the journey, I call it, um, I had a bad gut feeling about something and, and it, it, it was generally correct. Um, you know, and, and it, at the end of the day, um, the gynecologist oncologist wound up writing a white paper on my mother's case because it was so rare and believe it or not, we befriended her. We like, I'm still friends with her today. Um, in fact, I wanted her to write the beginning of my book. Um, in the beginning, we, you know, we, she just wasn't telling us what we wanted to hear, but she's the one that caught a lot of the errors. She's the one that told us the news we didn't want to hear up front. We didn't have misplaced hope with her. You as the patient, a lot of people aren't medically inclined, and maybe you feel like the, the doctors are supposed to be the ones on top of that, but I, I plead to you, they're not always on top of it. And you have to be in the driver's seat. If you're not in the driver's seat, at least be in the passenger seat. Because um, it, it, unless you're checking and rechecking, especially in a, in a 
you know, I call it a post-COVID hangover right now. You know, a lot of things are getting missed. Um, a lot of people are presenting to emergency rooms staged out in diseases and, um, you know, it's scary times and, and, um, you know, yeah. trust your gut. I'm glad you brought that up. This is, um, this is something we talk a lot about in the show. Um, you know, I come from a world of, uh, preventative care mm. and, uh, there's a time and a place for all of that. And I know once we're in the hospital, um, we're kind of in emergency mode. What I do like to bring up all the time whenever we're interacting with any health professional is that you are the expert of your body. You may mm -hmm. not be the expert of the craft. And I think I'm always about meeting in the middle. And I know that there are extreme challenges right now on both ends with yeah. the patient and also with healthcare and the physicians. Um, so it's, it's challenging, especially for the person dealing with it and for the loved ones. Um, but it's always, you need to be heard mm -hmm. always. And when you brought up gut, that's one thing I'm always, does it resonate with you? So when things are off, I know it's really hard to discern. Um, but if your gut is telling you something, you need to follow that. That's something I always say, because you may be ignorant on what's happening in these medical procedures or how things go, but intuitively, you know, something's off and that needs to be recognized and met. And so the fact that you are, you live through that experience, you're honoring that and you're sharing with everyone how important, how vital it is to have a voice. We're just taking that to another level of, in any range, how that can help, you know, especially dealing with a loved one and cancer. Um, again, it's very hard when you're going through such a traumatic experience and it's so depleting, but your gut will always be there. Yeah. And so, and it, yeah. It's, it's the, you know, another thing, and it, again, it sounds silly and it sounds like basic, but you know, another thing you're being discharged from a hospital, um, the nurses said they called your medicine into the local pharmacy. Nurses are busy. Nurses make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You know, if you're, you know, I always say if you're, if you're getting discharged, especially if you're getting discharged with a narcotic um, or something that needs a hard script in like New York state, get a paper copy. Cause I can't tell you how many times my mom was discharged from the, the hospital. They say, go to the pharmacy and pick it up. And it was never called in and, and understand that once you get discharged from that floor, it'll take you probably a good 48 hours to get back in touch with that doctor. You might get in touch with his group, but you're not going to get in touch mm -hmm. with him. And if you're really suffering and you need those meds, don't leave without the script. Um, you know, and, and again, another, you know, journaling and, and, and knowing the meds and what they're for. And, you know, there, there's so much, I mean, we could talk for three hours. I mean, I, I am going to incorporate a, you know, these, these checklists into my website. Um, I have a lot of things in the works, but, um, you know, and I, um, you know, again, I, at the end of each chapter, it's, it's just another learning, but unfortunately it was a learning because of a mistake, but, um, I can't tell you how many people, um, have written me or have written the review on Amazon or written a review on NetGalley and, and said, me too, you know, that mm -hmm. this, this, this is exactly what I felt, but never put into words. Um, 
so so that's kind of cool you know yeah. I also want to let people know that you know from a grief perspective like I was terrible at it I I I have a master's in psychology I used to run group therapy and I was my own worst enemy because I was quote unquote too smart to get help um but I wound up being um, still working, being a size zero and layering my clothes because I was so anxious, depressed, PTSD, whatever you want to call it. But I was too smart to get any help. And that, that, that was pretty bad for a long time. Um, and I was mad at the world. Um, and that's another thing I write about, you know, as far as grief, it's like, you know, they say there's the five stages and I think it's crap because everybody grieves differently and you know you might theoretically say you go through this that and the other thing but there's no order there's no norm there's no everybody just does things differently and right. I did it terribly but I, I'm I'm the fact that I can have a conversation with you without crying is huge for probably five years I couldn't do that I can, I can imagine. And I'm sure writing the book was very cathartic. And um, I just really appreciate you sharing and having this message. And I, you know, along with these advice of, you know, just the practicality, I think, I think what I know, at least from people I interact with and the listeners, um, you know, people don't realize why we need to advocate because we want to trust our professionals um, but we just, it doesn't matter. I'm a health professional. You just cannot give anybody all the power. Right. So, so in a, in a standpoint of that, it's like, okay, one, always, you know, go in, trust your gut, get a second opinion. Um, yeah, if you can't opinion. for yourself, have someone else document and just mm -hmm. be on top. And I think that's very challenging. So I hope is for people that are going through this that there is someone available in your life to help be on top of the logistics. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you now have a book and a blog where it's like, okay, if you find yourself in this situation, what are those things? Because it's not going to be the first thing on your mind. Obviously it's going to be your loved one. So um, do you want to tell people about your blog? As far as blogging, I, I try and blog every day at um, www.melissamalanfi.com. Um, and I also, you know, you can find, um, um, me on Instagram at Melissa Malanfi on Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, um, you know, my book, not in vain, a promise kept, um, is, uh, is available. And that's the book of that's about all about your journey with yeah. your, your mother. You yeah. Available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, my website. And, um, it's a quick read. Um, but it does, um, you know, there's a, there's a picture of me and my mom on the beach. Got to hold it a little higher. Oh, sorry. There you go. Yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. But, um, you know, at the end of each chapter, it, it does say, you know, um, you know, what we, you know, basically things we learned in December, things we learned in November, you know, um, things we learned in December. I'm just looking at it now. It, it, you know, it, it, it talks about, you know, hospice, sometimes the best planning does not go as expected. Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my goal, my mission until I leave this earth is to, I'm, I'm not in the business of beating up doctors. I just want them to get better. I want them to see 
you not as only the, uh, you know, the gallbladder in room 101. Um, I, I want people that are sick, patients, loved ones to find their voice and understand they have a say. They can also say no. Um, like you said, take more control of your care, trust your gut. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been lucky so far in the reviews. Um, again, a lot of people have, you know, said, you know, kind of been there, done that. Thank you for the advice. Um, and I've had some, you know, hospital brass, you know, talk to me about speaking with their physicians, which I'm all over because, you know, I feel like if, 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 if your loved one or your, my mom in this example is being talked about once a week with a multidisciplinary team and I'm with her nine hours a day or my sister's with her nine hours a day, I probably know things that the doctors don't know. I know if she sat an entire day and drank half a boost because like, if you think about it, the kitchen staff, they just take the trays. It's not their fault. That's just how it works. Someone with cancer needs calories. If she just had half a boost over 48 hours, the doctors need to know that. They don't know that unless the family or somebody there tells them. Um, there's so many little things that you don't think of, but I was able to, you know, write them all down because you just have to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, again, it's challenging. I know it's not natural for a lot of people to be on top. And I'm hoping with the show, and these, you know, guests like yourself, it's like giving this information so we're not left in the dark. And so the fact that you have a blog and you have a Facebook group and also your book, I think that's going to be really good uh, information for people that may find themselves in a situation like this. Um, when you can't think about everything, just know you'll have a list of things to be prepared for and, you know, to help guide this way. So it won't be as challenging as what others like yourself have gone through. And that's through. what I'm in the process of building. Like, um, you know, if you answer yes to this, then go that way. It's, you know, it's already, it's already in the, it's, 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 it's coming, but, um, you know, I would, I would love to, you know, revisit this another time. Um, there's a million other things I could tell you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, the more information you have, we would love to have you back on to get, get that out there. Uh, in the meantime, we'll have all your information in the show notes so people can uh, have access to your book and also the blog that you were talking about. So that'll be good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you too. Is there anything else you want to leave people with? No, just, you know what? Um, I would just say, you know, um, I, I never thought it would be this would happen to my family. You know, you never think it's going to be you, but eventually something like this is going to happen. And and the more prepared you can be, the better outcome you're going to have. Um, so that's that's what I would just say. And you know, as as much as um, doctors may tell you stay off the internet, like they told me when I said my mother was toxic, he told me to stay off the internet. I was right. And, um, you know, you don't want to take their job. You didn't go eight years of medical school, but there's certain things that you should find your voice and say and, and make them double, triple, quadruple check because you know your loved one more than they do because they see 20, 30 patients every 10 minutes, you know? So, you know, you just, you just got to 
you got to find it. And if, and if it's not your, if, if you're not maybe extroverted or you're not one to maybe rock the boat, then, then find somebody that's going to help you out with that. Exactly. Great advice. And I, I'm someone that, um, I agree with the doctor where it's not always good to go with the inter- internet, like WebMD. Yeah. But I believe the reason you did that is because you knew something was wrong. Yeah. And so I think that's the first step, right? And how we go about it. Because I, again, that's that can lead to misinformation. You were right. correct. But I think what the initial point of that is that you followed your gut. And right. you just I mean, weren't accepting because you knew that was wrong. And I think that's the big piece there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, 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 the trip was, was, you know, I have all our medical records and I actually put every single day in a spreadsheet and everything they wrote. And the, when she was talking toxic, it said, you know, patient had ifosamine toxicity. It was right there, black and white, you know, um, I just wish that, you know, I wish that we had the the courage at the time to to say, you know, no, we're going to stop this now because my mom was, I mean, was she? I mean, she was lucky she made it through that because she doesn't she doesn't remember those two weeks. Um, so it's it's important. But you're right though; you can get a lot of misinformation on the internet. You know, also misguided hope. I mean, we were thinking it was benign until you know, the nurse came in with the zoot suit on, you know, we were yeah. under the assumption that it was just some funky thing, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, uh, you know, now you have the story to tell, to share, and hopefully uh, move things forward for people mm-hmm. in an easier way. Yeah. And I hope that helps you with everything that you've experienced as well. It does. It does. Yeah. It, it, it gives, I, I feel like, you know, the, that's the, the name of it. Um, not in vain. You know, I, I don't want her suffering to be in vain. I want it to help other people. Um, and that's the promise that I made to her. And it took me longer than I wanted to do it, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it right. Nice. Well, you're already doing it. You're I showed up here. You're giving me the platform. So you're that, welcome. My pleasure. That's that's the message. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my pleasure. And I'm, I'm glad you're here. And like I said, we're going to have your information available for people. And so people can reach out to you and you can continue with your mission. Perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining Melissa. Thanks for joining the passionate health advocate show with your host, Denise DeShetler. Like what you see and hear? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this podcast with those who need to hear it. Mm